Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Inside the GM Studio, a podcast all about the tabletop RPG hobby, mostly centered for those game masters out there, but the players, we'd like to talk to you as well. I'm your host, Matt. I am David. You know, I got to tell you, I don't know. I don't want to talk to players. I want to talk to <laughs> GMs only. It's like a this episode, only GMs only, please. <laughs> all the other players, unsubscribe. Get the fuck out yeah. of here. <laughs> Just... Just go from whatever we have now. This is zero people. Turns out I'm just a player. I don't really like to run games. I just like to hear about other people running games. So, no D&D this week. Which was fine. I had a lot of shit going on yesterday as well. Actually, when you brought that message into Discord, I was... I was actually a little relieved because I was so tired by then. I was just, oh, thank God. I was going to go home and try to get some sleep before the before the session, but I didn't think it was going to happen. They offered mm. us at work, uh, if you went in this weekend and worked on certain projects, we got double time. So I said, yes, please. Got to do six that. Six pack of beer. <laughs> okay. Uh, but uh, other than that, do you have anything... Uh, Special that you were planning on with the uh, the session yesterday? Uh, well, Mike told me on like uh, I saw him on Tuesday, and and he was like, "Hey, no gaming for me this week." So I didn't really have anything prepped beyond what I had prepped the previous week, which was to kind of get into the next adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I prepped a little bit of that to get into the next adventure, and we didn't get to it the previous session because uh, just the combat with the Red Woman. Yeah, so, well, I mean, but I still had prepared the previous week. I had prepared the intro to the next adventure because I thought we would get to it last session, but we Mm -hmm. didn't. And so I kind of did that legwork already. So Mike told me on Tuesday, I thought he was going to message everybody and say, he was funny. He was like, I was like, he was like, yeah, I can't play. uh, I can't game this week. And I was like, oh, that's, well, you know, it is what it is. He's like, yeah, it's Beto's wife's birthday. I was, like, oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, damn, dude. I was like, you should message the group and say that. And he never did. I think he just forgot. Uh, so, yeah. But, you know, so, yeah, I didn't have to do anything for D&D this week. I was uh, looking forward to the game, but, oh, well. You play any of your other games this week? No. Um, my dad has been in the hospital for the last week. And he got shipped up here to Ann Arbor from Kalamazoo. So I've been up there every day after work. So uh, all my games have been on hold all week. And I, I should have known because this how it always happens. If I don't play either of my games during the week, usually D&D doesn't happen either. It's like when it wanes, it pours. Yeah. It's or, like, you know, it's even all... the other way around as well, too. Because if D&D doesn't happen, then my other games don't happen either. Mm-hmm. So there's something about it if... If one of your games goes down, you're just not playing that week. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, uh, well, we're just going to keep on trucking and talking about shit, even though we're not playing. Eventually, it'll just be like we don't even play games. <laughs> yeah, like, right. We'll just talk about games and tell you. We've played listener. enough games that we can talk about it. Yeah. But luckily, shit, bro. we got an email this, this week from Alyssa. What? Oh, hi, Alyssa. And Alyssa wants to know, how do you handle secret information or times when players are separated? Mm. Hey, boys, how you, uh, how do you handle knowledge players hey. won't, wouldn't have? So I'm new to GMing, and my first campaign is coming up, and I was going over Discord since our group is spread across the globe. This gives me a bit mm. of functionality I usually wouldn't have in person. I've been planning on making the game as real as possible by sequestering players that aren't in the same area away from each other in def- different voice channels. Uh, I really want the players to be in control about how much the other players know about them. A lot of the themes I want to explore in the campaign are those about loyalty, trust, and exploring the concept of good and evil. I want to create an environment that might make this more difficult. I want to make the players not know fully who they should side with and have that decision by predicted on, and have that decision be predicted on the information that they might not all know. I'd love to hear and some means, thoughts. And it, as she means predicated. Predicated. Predicate. It is go. predicated. I read that wrong. I'd love to hear some thoughts on this kind of campaign setup and, and if it seems like a good or bad idea. 
I think it sounds awesome, actually. It sounds like if John Carpenter's The Thing were a fucking RPG, that could be very, very cool, depending on the concept mm. of uh, the thrust of the drama. Uh, she doesn't seem to... I mean, I'm making the assumption that Alyssa is a woman. If you're not Alyssa, then I apologize. <laughs> but it's traditionally a lady name, mm. so I'm going to assume that Alyssa is a woman. She seems to... Doesn't really illuminate for us what game system she's running D and D or something else. I, I'm not really sure, but the you're she seems to be taking more of a film tact, mm -hmm. and I mean, as you might imagine, that resonates with me quite a bit because I really like film. So the writer's job, and the, consequently the director's job, is to limit how much information you give to the viewer in this case you're limiting how much information you give to the pc recognize that that can become laborious though uh switching back and forth between one channel and another um can achieve your desired results um but at the same time can leave the other players kind of just sitting there not really doing anything not engaged in the narrative you have to establish Firstly, you, you're not going to be able to isolate all of the players and just have all their information and, and knowledge and everything siloed. It would just be too cumbersome. So try to decide about what things that having hidden can be important to the plot if you're going to be giving different players different information and what the goal of that is. Is it to so dissent and distrust uh, in the in the group and if so toward what end is this more of a existential exploration of the nature of camaraderie and friendship is it about some external threat and not knowing who you can trust because that thing is in some way hidden um like i said Allah the thing or other films that play on your fear of paranoia and something like that Presumably, it has some horror elements to it uh, if you're trying to keep so much of the information hidden. Um, but those themes are good themes to play on uh, and can make the game far more introspective and interesting. Just don't ignore the the notion that you do need to have some sort of external threat that drives the plot forward if you're failing in that regard and it tends to be become to become too much about what knowledge the players have then they likely will get frustrated unless it's like some sort of detective story then in which case maybe you could kind of go with that but um without more context about what the genre or the crux of the um gaming system is it's kind of hard for me to offer more advice i do like the idea and where uh, Alyssa's thinking about taking it but i guess it, it seems like those acting asking for like some tactics is do i understand yeah. that right? like some tactics to isolate that what it sounds like is she wants to know is how you know like uh in discord it's a lot easier now like i even have a setup in our games discord that if we ever if you ever wanted I have a voice channel called DM Secrets right. where you can pull people in and only those people can hear you and you can talk. Right. There's always whispers in if you're playing on a VTT, there's usually a whisper function like in Roll20 mm -hmm. when we play, we have the whispers that we use. Back mm -hmm. in the day we did notes to just write a note to the player, yeah. Uh but I think what she's asking is do you still do this? Do you recommend it and how do you go about it now? If you want to keep these secrets Again, I don't I don't believe that you need to keep everything a secret. Yeah, I'm on the same page with that. I'm actually not a big fan of keeping a lot of secrets from the other players. Just because I don't know, because I like the full story and you know how we talked about before. Like how do you like your storytelling? Do you like narrative storytelling or point of view? It's like mm -hmm. I like narrative because I want to know right. what the fuck is going on. Uh, but I also like surprises. So when the DM and the other player has been working on something, passing notes back and forth, hell, back in the day when I saw Dave passing notes to some of the other guys, I'd be like, 
the fuck is that shit? What's that note say? What's that? What's the note? Nothing. Don't worry about it. And then later on, some of my shit's gone, and I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's that gets into perhaps a discussion for a later time, which is if you don't withhold any information from the players, it makes it very hard to have plot twists. And so plot twists are almost always predicated on the withholding of some information. Mm -hmm. So we, we talked about this about kind of the more narrative uh, storytelling, which is should you be giving players information that doesn't really have that, that their characters don't experience directly right. off camera knowledge off camera knowledge and i err on the side of no you should not be because the whole essence of a role-playing game is the players view things through the lens that is their character and they shouldn't have any extraneous information that they wouldn't be able to experience as that character because it pulls them out of the world it pulls them out of the role it seems as though Alyssa is taking things kind of a step further on the other end of the continuum, which is maybe there is some stories, some narratives, some bits of information that only have to do with certain characters. But the best piece of advice I can give is to say you don't need to strive so hard to silo all of the players you, you do want, presumably if it's a game-based group, you do want some concept of a shared goal. And so that's going to be shared information in some way. Shared goal, shared information. I would just think long and hard about like what are the themes of your campaign and what is the goal and the purpose of withholding information from the players mm -hmm. sometimes it could just be to fuck with them i mean i remember like back in second and early third edition sometimes i would just write a note to a player that says read this and hand it back yeah. to yeah yeah i remember those <laughs> yeah and you just read it and hand it back to me and it's just kind of to fuck with the other players i remember they, you sent one to me one day and it all it said was eat this after you read this <laughs> <laughs> so i did so if the the way in which you handle information dissemination serves some sort of purpose then the next step is how how much does that siloing the information alienate the other players you move somebody else over to another chat to give them some information mm. if that information involves everything that happens to their character because they're in another room you're going to be monologuing kind of going through this role-playing exercise with them and because you don't want the other players to know and that's fair but recognize the other players are going to be sitting kind of just getting bored Whereas maybe if they could hear some of it and then you selectively decide which bits of information are key bits of information that the players, like the, the player in question, could have. And so think of them as kind of components in a recipe. The, with, the withholding of certain bits of information should add up to paranoia, testing the PC solidarity and camaraderie. So try to tease apart what those themes are. And then for each individual character, presumably you have some plot threads in mind or just as they come up and you see opportunities for it to be a certain component in that recipe, that would be the best use to use it. Uh, an alternate channel or a whisper is certainly in practical terms, probably the most um, easily accessible way to go about doing that. Obviously, you need to think in depth about what that information is ahead of time because if you don't, uh, in particular, if you have to type it out, it can be kind of laborious mm. while you're monologuing to other characters and trying to type something in a whisper, and it's difficult. So try to have that those bits of information thought out that you might want to keep secret from the greater part of the group and then try to think really hard about why you're keeping that information secret and why does it test the characters that gets the information's 
like whether they will share it with the rest of the party loyalty you know paranoia these are perfectly good themes to pull at but you need to have a sounding board for something external that isn't just this one thing inter-party strife or whatever um there needs to be something outside of that that the party can to push the plot forward, I mm-hmm. guess, or you'd be relying too heavily on the isolation of information, in which case the narrative would, would need to be blocked off and siloed off into large sections where it would be not really conducive to a group element. One thing that I would say, because I've used this before, like I've used the uh, the Chamber of Paranoia when rolling, or rolling, uh, when playing Call of Cthulhu over Discord, mm-hmm. Uh, one that I found was really good is I was running a homebrew Savage Worlds game uh, a couple years ago with some friends, and the campaign was very it was based on dreams that they were having. They were having like these visions of the future, the past, and the present all through their dreams. So every night when they slept, I'd bring them into a separate channel, and I didn't want to go over. 15 seconds like just keep it super small and if they asked me to repeat i did not it's like this is just your dream you don't always remember everything in your dream this is the information you're getting whatever you remember that's great uh but you know when i went through everybody the next day they would talk about their dreams and sometimes they would like nate would be like oh fuck what was that what happened and I was just like, yeah, I do that all the time with my dreams. And he's like, me too. That's This is kind of cool. And it's trying to get them to remember what their dreams were. And Rob ended up making a dream journal in game. So he would write it down as, you know, pretty much what, as I was describing it. Because he'd be like, I want to wake up and just write it down as fast as possible. Like, all right, that's kind of cool. Uh, but as long as you keep it in short bursts and you get through it as quick as possible, like David was saying, you don't want the other players to get bored. They're going to be sitting there. They're going to be gabbing with each other. Next thing you know, you're going to come back and they're going to be in a full-blown conversation that they're going to want to finish in the, you know, in 20 minutes. It, you don't want to shatter the mood. Right. You, so don't, yeah, you don't want to uh, completely get out of the game, really. Yeah. What are they talking about? Like, what's happening? You know, like the, that, those questions should linger, but then you should be back to the game. Another tactic that I would suggest that is probably good is if you are pulling other players aside for short and sweet bursts, that the other players are likely wondering what you're talking about, uh, you can use whispers. Um, I don't know if you have whispers in Discord. They, she said she's... Or yeah. Alyssa said that they're using Discord, right? Yeah, you can you send uh, direct to, messages. So, right. so you can do a single message to them. So I always think of as much as we've kind of talked about film, but try to think of yourself as a narrator in a book and a narrator can take a variety of different roles. But if you're trying to drum home a certain theme or certain ideas or a certain dynamic, you can usher the player's sensibilities by kind of slightly editorializing. If the players all have, it doesn't need to be a lot, disparate information a little goes a long way you pull one player aside and tell them something and the rest of the group says hey what are they talking about or whatever then as long as they have some doubt and some awareness that each pc has different information than they have that will immediately get the gears turning and all you need to do is just add a little bit of bellows to that to Mm -hmm. flare it up like you can really easily in a whisper or direct message just while they're having a conversation, just tell the PC or something. It seems like this other player is hiding something yeah. or you're suspicious of him to kind of like, sow that seed and it doesn't need to be a protracted um, exposition or a big long winded thing. It's just a little bit, right? It's a little bit like once you've set the stage for, disparate information you can just editorialize a little bit here and there that ushers certain uh characters to a certain state of mind right you're framing the argument right they're having a perfectly banal conversation and then you just 
editorialize. Like you're skeptical that given X, Y, and Z that you know that your party mate's version of what happened is true or you have reason to doubt their motives here. Just like really quick and easy, small, succinct, direct messages that you don't need to think a lot about and you can type out while the party is talking and inject them, especially if you give different tones. You say like, I'm going to PCs one, two, three, four, five, and I'm going to make PCs one, PC one suspicious of PC three and PC three suspicious of PC two and PC two suspicious of PCs three and five and four is more trusting of one. And you just kind of draw all those connections. Then you can just craft little messages that, that, that try to usher the PCs down those sensibilities and elite, allow enough flexibility for them to pull at a thread. Well, why do I think this? And like kind of pull at a thread and pull at some sort of mystery. It's rife with good opportunities for role-playing. And as long as you allow enough flexibility for the PCs to kind of draw their own conclusions and maybe quash or develop certain ideas, you don't want to railroad them into a certain emotional state, but sowing the seeds of, of doubt and dissent uh, or a, is a great way to kind of get conflict and test these ideas. Uh, and again, try to remember to, to anchor some sort of external codified thing. Uh, if you're going to have a lot of ambiguity about the party's knowledge and dissent within the party, then the external threat has to be something that is clear to them. You don't want so much ambiguity between those two things or it, your game might come derailed and, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I want to, before we end this, I want to, I don't want to, uh, oh man, I don't want to uh, uh, push people away from doing notes and secrets and whispers and all that because it can be really fun. Just mm-hmm. recently in our D&D campaign, we came across a woman that was a prisoner and my character is very uh, insightful. He's very, you know, perceptive. And he was able to know, I think, I can't remember if I shot a whisper to you first. That was like, I want to do an insight check on her. Or if you just mm-hmm. kind of shot me a whisper and was just like, you don't really trust her. And I was like, all right, let me do an insight check. And I did it in secret to you. And then none of the other players were aware. And when I finally grabbed her and put a dagger to her throat, everybody was in literal like shock. They were just like, whoa, what the fuck are you doing? And it was all because of this. And it can make a really cool little scene. Just I think if you do it in, you know, everything's, you know, too much of anything is bad. So if you try to keep up in the more and more secrets that are coming around, I think it's just it could end up being really bad. Unless you are just like a fucking fantastic at keeping track of all this stuff. And like David was saying before, using these in the story in the correct way. But that's a very difficult deed. Because you need to have plot twists. And plot twists rely on whoever it is having... If you want X amount of like five of the... Or three of the five... PCs to be surprised by something then you need to withhold some degree of information from them and that's a plot twist but if you start using the same plot twist repeatedly especially in some way that doesn't up the stakes of the plot twist then it just gets kind of stale over time you're just like oh okay yeah it's just this person isn't what they seem to be and that person is whatever you need to use a variety of different twists and you need to Either if you're going to use the same one, don't use it in the same to the same effect repeatedly, and it, because otherwise it just kind of uh, it just saps the energy out of it, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, like uh, think of um, in Empire and Empire Strikes Back, we learned that Darth Vader is Luke's father, and it's a, a hell of a plot twist, maybe the best in cinema history, right? great plot twist and has big impact influences the way in which the plot progresses and uh, the perceptions of the character, the dramatic stakes that are involved. And so that's great. It's a great twist, but then 
in Return of the Jedi, we also learn like, well, Leia is his sister. And it's like, okay, it's not as important of a connection. It's not as much of a bombshell. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, two characters are related to Luke Skywalker. How convenient, right? So I don't know about you, but that didn't really hit as hard for me when I first saw it as when Vader announces that he's Luke's father. So it just kind of falls flat for me as much as I bag on like the new movies and the prequel movies. That is just kind of a really missed opportunity to have a better twist. And so if you're going to one up a twist, make it bigger, grander, and maybe a second or a third time, but bigger, grander, but you you have to really decide like what is the goal of withholding this information and don't withhold things that aren't seemingly important unless it's just to, to cast doubt on um, the, for the rest of the people. Like is the purpose of withholding the information for the purpose of the character learning it? Or is it for the purpose of the characters that know that you're meeting in secret with another PC? You need to think through that. And for each instance you do it, try to ask yourself that question. Is this for the actual PC? When I send a note that says, read this and give it back to me, that's not for that PC. It's for everyone else at the table. And so sometimes it's going to be one and sometimes it's going to be the other. And you need to just kind of manage expectations based on that information. It, it, I will say it's not an easy task, no, it's not. but it, but if you're up to it, it can be very rewarding. I would never endeavor to um, play a game that's uh, like that, mm-hmm. but perhaps you have um, some characters whose sensibilities are different than the types of uh, players I've had over the years. Uh, I, I think it's a cool concept. I'd, I'd like to know uh, how it goes. Yeah. Alyssa so, out right there, and, let us know yeah. if, if you were able to successfully do this, please let us know. Uh, let's see. You said, I think, oh, you just said that you're coming up uh, your first time coming up. Okay. Well, Hey, yeah, let us know. Let us know yeah. how it works out. Um, I got one more email here that uh, okay. I almost didn't read just because it's a total meme email sub boys it's bill dot 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 e again (laughs) fucker Uh, you're a dickhead change your name Uh, i'm into it i'm into it now i'm on his side (laughs) yeah right all i want to know is what is the difference between emails and the community questions it seems like they're pretty much the same thing but you continuously do them separately and then you say you have no emails what is the difference all right billy you fucker uh emails are from you guys you are from the listeners listeners send us emails our listeners send in the emails and then we directly answer your questions community questions are should i find on reddit uh, on other message boards that are literally just questions put out to the community that I like to do that gives us something to talk about for a little bit. That's the only yeah. difference. Now, William, if you will shut the fuck up and just, that was clever. Yeah. Good job, dude. Hey, easy. Take it easy. Dial it back. You're you're basically committing a hate crime on him right now. Oh, sorry. And sorry, Bill. More personalized. The, the emails are, are, emails are directly about our podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and the things that we talk about or things that our listeners are thinking about and want our opinions specifically. The community questions are really just, we're just some assholes opining on something that other, lots of other people have likely talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just kind of food for thought that maybe is relevant to the people that might listen. And maybe some of those people do listen to our podcast, but uh, it's very possible that none of them do. Oh yeah. So, Maybe someday they'll be listening to an episode and say, hey, I posted that. I always thought that might be kind of cool. I'm Bunch 69. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of, let's go ahead and get to the community questions. I'm sorry, Billy. I do love you. Keep listening. Please do. No, no, you made it clear you don't. don't. I'm on his (laughs) side. I'm on his side. I got you, Billy. You call yourself Billy. That's good. You know who, who you know you know who else called himself Billy? The red power ranger no, the blue power ranger. Blue, blue power, power ranger. ranger. He was kind of gay. <laughs> so he's not the coolest power ranger. 
But anyway, I get a 19 for community Ooh, questions. Nice. It's Billy. Billy wants to know. <laughs> All right. Let's see. What do we got here? This one comes from Valius Shashko. Valius, Valius Sashko wants to know a few questions from a beginner. Hi, everyone. Have a few questions about how you handle some situations. Do you ask people to roll perception checks and insight, or do you do it yourself secretly? The thing is, people love to roll dice, and it feels rewarding, but asking people to roll a die to, uh, gives away secret information. Two, do you let everyone roll when the party are looking for loot, secrets in a room? And three, do you skip travel time? Number three, we've talked about a lot, but uh, I like these first two uh, because I've seen it done a couple different ways. Uh, and I know David has actually played in a couple games where it's been a couple different ways. Uh, but I like the players to be able to roll whatever the fuck is coming up. I like the players to be able to roll a lot of dice. I like as the GM, I roll dice just because it gives me something to do. And I want to feel like I'm playing a game as well instead mm -hmm. of just reading the notes that I wrote the other day. But I don't like to roll secret stuff for them that they should be able to do themselves. I feel anything that has to do with their characters, that would be an aspect of their character or an ability of their character. They should be able to roll it themselves. Uh, but I know David, when you first started playing, you did it like the old, old fashioned way where the DM rolled everything and the players never rolled shit. Uh, and I know for a fact, back in our AD and D days, there was sometimes that you would roll our skills in secret to see if we ever noticed stuff. Uh, but what is your preferences now, now that you've done damn near everything? In 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons and uh, to a lesser degree in 4th and 3rd edition Dungeons and Dragons, you have a passive perception and insight. You have passive scores. Mm -hmm. Passive scores for pretty much everything if you decide that you want to go with a passive score. As a general rule, what I do is establish what the players would know passively or what they would perceive or pick up on passively. And that might be because they I know they have a plus four in Arcana, and so I would say, okay, there's 14 Arcana. So you see something that is magic-related, and I'm going to give you some information that would be relevant to up to a 14 check. Mm because that's your baseline. Same thing with your passive perception. Describe what the players see from their passive scores. And, and to Alyssa's example, like I would feel no need to withhold that from the other players. I told, I tell one player, one player in my group has a 20 perception and everyone else has like a 10. I would tell the 20 perception player what they observe and it would be a perfectly good opportunity to see what they do with that information given that the other PCs just heard what it is that they know but they can't really act upon it if I wanted to in some way create some sort of divide between that perceptive PCs um, sensibilities in the group then I might pull them aside and whisper to them what it is that they see and sometimes I do that to varying degrees anything beyond that what they would notice passively. If you do that correctly and you're constantly giving perceptive or insightful characters information that they get passively, what you will notice is that they will rely on their skills passively mm -hmm. and it will help speed the game along, frankly. And anytime they want something beyond that, they might make a check or they might make something, a check for something in particular that, you didn't specifically call out and that's probably a more economic use of their skills because frankly the amalgam of the abilities that they have should probably just always be active in particular in a perception insight investigation sort of way so don't make them uh make a specific check. I like, I get it that if you're searching a specific area, but some people are more perceptive and frankly, 
do you really need to actively like when you come into a room if there's a particular smell you don't need you don't need to go hmm hang on <laughs> like you just smell stuff or you don't smell stuff right plenty of people always say that like do you hear that do you smell that and people are like i don't smell anything and you're like it smells like rotten eggs it's like why do i smell that and no one else does well i'm more keyed into it mm-hmm. and so that is just a reflexive thing i don't make party members do something actively unless they're trying to stretch their capabilities i have a 15 perception maybe i sense that there is something that is beyond just beyond my capabilities of perceiving passively for whatever reason i might get some sort of clue visually or whatever given the context that there might be something there and i i want to stretch my capabilities and i want to try to see if i can roll a 18 when I might perceive something at a 15, but it's like, you know, 18 or 19. Like, I think I can get there. And that's probably good because if you have, if you have an investigation and insight or perception score, that's kind of on the cusp, say something is a 20 and you have a 17, you probably have some sense that maybe something is just beyond your, your immediate perception. You're, mm-hmm. you're there on the cusp and you might have some awareness that, something doesn't feel right or whatever, but it's, it's not really striking you and you might have an instinct to, to whatever, especially if you have a fairly decent wisdom score, if it's a wisdom based skill in some way, that's what wisdom is, is some sort of intuition about the world around you. Like you can't really put your finger on why things feel weird, but they do feel weird. And that might provoke you to go in a certain direction. That's how I handle things now for economy, mostly because I don't want the players constantly like come into a room and do a perception check i do an arcana check i do a mm-hmm. nature check i go over to this thing and i do an investigation check and then i do a perception check and then i do it it's like i don't need that right here's what you notice and if you do that well enough then the players will know the things that they kind of notice reflexively and when something is a bit of a stretch they might go to that or they would defer to another character that is better at that particular skill do you have or my favorite is uh you come in and the one player says i want to do a perception check like okay go ahead and roll oh damn that's a nine well you know you don't really notice anything and then you know before you can even finish your statement the uh another player just like oh oh can i try just like oh yeah okay sure um what i wanted to bring up is uh Make sure whenever they roll, I'm trying to get better at this. This is something I've been working on for fucking months now. And, of course, at the beginning of the games, I'm all right at it. And then as the game gets going, sometimes the drunker I get, just, you know, I start to forget. But what I want to do is when a player says, can I do a perception check? Oh, of course. Or an investigation check, insight check. Insight check, I don't usually do it. But perception, investigation um they roll and i really should start doing it for all skills especially when it's like a knowledge base or wisdom base i don't want to just say you don't see anything of course you don't just see nothing there's stuff there and there's Mm -hmm. some things that i could do to you know spice it up a little bit but you failed so you don't see anything that's hidden or anything that's going to stick out to you but i want to still give you something without just saying no you don't see anything yeah i want to try to say you know the air in here is thin or the air in here there's a bit of mildew and there's this and this and this but i get why you don't do that because you don't want to direct the players again if just choosing to mention something communicates its significance and you don't on one hand you don't want to like communicate well you just see nothing right but on the other hand, if you say something, then you never know. Like the player might take that as something that's significant yeah. and, and pull at that thread in some way. I would, I'm a bigger fan of when, like when I'm a player, typically what I do is I go, okay, I scan the room. Okay. And then I might tell the DM, I'm trained in religion i'm looking at a tapestry i'm looking at a fresco i'm looking at something i'm trained in religion i have a plus four to religion what do i know about this by just looking at it 
do I know anything? Mm-hmm. Hollywood celebrities and stars, what do they know? They know <laughs> things? Let's find out. Um, so there could be a better back and forth for the sake of like not just making roles. Like I want to make a religion check on this. It's like, well, that raises the question from the DM's perspective. Plenty of, I do a religion check on this. It's like, well, what are you trying to learn? Well, I just, you know, I want to know about it. It's like, but if you proactively as a player go, I have a plus four to religion. And I look at this. Do I know anything about it? Just passively. Then it puts the onus on the DM to tell you what you do know, because you've actively like called it out, but are passively engaging with just your reflexive abilities. But if you're making an active check as the DM, I want to know specifically what you were searching for. You can't just go, I go into the room and I do a perception check. Okay. You have a passive perception score. If anything is out of the ordinary, I'm going to tell you Mm -hmm. based on that passive perception score, but you now have said passive perception score. Fuck you. I want an active check. An active check means that you are looking for something in particular. You are scanning the room. You are looking for something of note. Now I need to know what that something is. What is catching your attention as you scan the room? I can't go into depth on every single detail that you notice before you make a check. I need to know what it is in particular you're looking for. And I've teased that out of some players before. They'll be like, well, just anything of value. Right. It's like, well, what is valuable to you? You you have to set those parameters for me. And so um, it could be a little bit more of a collaborative effort where the PC just kind of acknowledges that they have a passive skill and they might not need to roll and solicit information from the DM that they might not give them passively because they might not know the PC wants it. Whereas the DM could be a little bit better about communicating the information that is obvious that the PCs know passively with the passive investigation or passive perception and then relying on the PCs to pull at those threads if they want more information. That is the ideal tactic, at least for me. Um, I also like here his third question are there whoever valius shasko your question uh do you skip travel time of course we've talked about yes we usually do skip travel time but we'll spice it up with a thing but uh this made me think of your question actually goes in with your checks because back in third edition and fourth maybe it was just third edition uh taking 10 i can't remember if they still had that in fourth edition as well they did um but taking 10 uh for those that might not know Back in those days, what you could do is you say, I want to take 10, which means you Mm -hmm. take 10 minutes to say, again, another investigation. You're taking 10 minutes to do this thing. What you just add 10 to your skill and that would be your 10 plus your skill. That would be your role. And uh, that's what I don't recall it being 10 minutes, but taking 10, at least in fourth edition was unless you're under duress in some way, it is a presumption that a player, a character can perform a task at average competency, which is the equivalent of taking a 10 on a D 20 because you can just do it with average ability. So something requires a 14 acrobatics to check and you have a plus five to acrobatics. Unless you're under some sort of super normal circumstance, where you might be doing so in the midst of battle or like you might need to jump from one platform to another because it's burning under normal circumstance. There's no dire need. If it requires a 14 check and you have a plus five, you can just assume Mm -hmm. that unless you're under dire circumstances, you can do that every single time unless pressed because it's just, it's just a kind of routine to you, right? It's the same thing with, whatever yeah. hitting a pool shot right you can just do it with average average ability over a long arc in third edition when that rule came across because they had taking 10 and taking 20 and that's yeah. what it said you're taking 10 minutes to do this you're taking 20 minutes to do this and you would add those um mm-hmm. i like what they did in fourth edition a lot better and we still do it these days not only with the passive but both david and i do it now that if you take some time, just a minute or two to really focus on it and there's nothing else around you to give you duress, then yes, yeah. just take that 10 plus your your skill bonus. That's what you could do. 
I don't even think it needs to be like a, a minute or two. I mean, just think about something like jumping, jumping up onto like a ledge or, or something. It might only gonna yeah, just a, a few seconds of, seconds of like hopping up and yeah. down a little bit, pumping yourself up, and then be like, okay, here we go with a running start. But yeah, if 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 there's nothing threatening you, you're not having to worry about like performing the task under pressure, mm-hmm. like an you know NFL game situation. Like if you took a if you took an NFL quarterback out of the pressure of a game and put a guy in the end zone 30 yards down and the guy was just standing there waiting to receive the pass you don't think he could hit them hit him with that pass like 99 out of 100 times oh, he yeah. could he's a fucking pro quarterback <laughs> like the guy the guy's not moving there's no other like distractions he's not under the pressure of a game there's no opponents rushing in trying to sack him he just has the ball and he just needs to throw it 30 yards into the end zone to a stationary target he can do that 500 times consecutively without an issue. So that's kind of how I look at it with the taking 10 situation. I agree. I'm on that same page. All right. So um, So, we've talked about on this show before uh, when it comes to NPCs in our games, these are some of the things that can hook a player in. I've already talked about it on this show before. That's what hooked me into this fucking hobby all those years ago, fucking 25 some odd years ago. First playing in David's AD&D game back in high school. These NPCs, Amber, Mortigan, and the Drow, no matter what, they will stick in my head and I will not forget them whatsoever. I can remember their weapons. I can remember their gear. I can remember what the, the description you gave and what they look like. And that's when I got hooked into this game was hell. It was a death of one of those NPCs that I realized, Oh my God, I love this hobby. This is what's going to go in. Uh, This is how I'm going to go in and go in fucking hard. Uh, But I want to know, and I did a little bit of research on this. How do you make lasting and memorable NPCs to help, bring those players into this story. And I found a nice little list here <coughs> from uh, thegamer.com, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, Dungeon Master Tips for Creating Memorable NPCs. So I wanted to bring some of these. I don't think I'm going to go through all of them because some of them are absolute shit. Uh, but there's some that I wanted to throw past David, and I've never really had <clears throat> any players bring up and gush as much as I have to David about his NPCs. And I think it's just those three maybe that I've gushed about the most. Uh, but he's the only one that's ever made NPCs that have lasted in my mind all these years later. Hell, there's sh- more shit that I have forgotten about games that I've played in than these three NPCs. So to start with number nine, uh, it is don't overwrite NPC backstories. One common mistake among new dungeon masters is over-preparation. Writing too many details about the world, locations, and NPCs can take a lot of effort, and most of the time, the players won't even get to know about these details as they are usually more focused on the main story. Mm -hmm. Uh, This one I will agree with. Um, I like what they go here when writing NPCs. Think about their personalities, their goals, and their allegiances. Writing a deep backstory for each individual NPC is not necessary. And even if it comes up during a game, don't be afraid to improvise based on the conversation. This I very much agree with. Uh, Mystery of NPCs is always great. Um, Back in the day with these, I'm going to keep going back to these three because these are the three that really affected me. Amber had her secrets, but she was very upfront with us. Morgan had no secrets. He was a lawful good paladin with a fucking holy avenger that was just a no-nonsense paladin type. He was a badass. I loved him. The drow, he was our... He wasn't the villain, but he was a nemesis. Uh, And he was always shadowed in mystery. He was the drow. Anything bad that ever happened to us, we blamed the fucking drow, no matter what. Um... But what do you think, David? Mystery is good. That is, I'm in agreement with the writer that emphasis on backstory is not needed. Um, what What's important 
for their part in the narrative is what the NPC values. And there's a variety of different templates that you can use. So as you noted, Amber had some mystery Mm -hmm. and she had some intrigue. So her motives were not fully known. And Mortigan, if you're keen to use the second edition examples, I I suspect this is just kind of like your first like middle school girlfriend. Like you, they resonate with you so much precisely because they were just the first. Yeah, they were my first. Well, well fleshed out characters. Um, But by today's standards, by my ability and capacity to flesh characters out now they probably don't hold up as well but but they were there and it was like wow these are like they they feel like characters in the narrative but i took two different tactics when i was younger which was one is a templar is a um paragon of faith and is uncomplicated and that existed with another character who was complicated and kind of shrouded in mystery and the nemesis in this question in this case was particularly good at attacking the pc's weaknesses so i believe that npcs if they are to serve a goal they should be we i think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago they should be all in some way struggling with the same problem that PCs are struggling mm-hmm. with, if they're allies in particular. And if they're not, then they should be particularly good at attacking and poking holes in what it is that the PCs are coping with, their, the, whatever their weaknesses are, which is why it's good for the PCs to have backstories. The PCs have backstories, then, we, then they have weaknesses, and you can craft villains that poke at those weaknesses, and you can craft allies that bolster the are grappling with the same problems that the PCs are so that it really makes the narrative centered on the PCs. And that's, that's good because then the drama follows along with the PCs and everything stays on theme and it makes it much easier to develop a plot because everything has a kind of designing principle of like, what are the PCs grappling with? What point am I trying to prove with this story and how are the NPCs bolstering the PC's ability to grapple with that and how is the villain attacking their ability and and hampering them. It makes it much easier to establish plot points when you know these designing principles of like what the PC's are about and then consequently what are the NPC's about. But I'm with the, the writer that detailed fleshed out backstories are not necessary because the PC's aren't ever going to sit or sit down and kind of go like, "Hmm, let me tell you about my father. Right. So Amber, where did you grow up? And it's like, you can come up with that on the fly Mm -hmm. and make it somewhat cohesive. And if you understand what type of character the NPC is, what they value, then coming up with something on the fly is easy, right? Like he's a no, like he's a no nonsense kind of rough and tumble guy. You don't really think about like where he grew up or whatever, but you just like when someone is inclined to ask, it's just, you understand their their governing principles and their values, then it makes it easy just to kind of come up with something that makes sense in the moment. Um, this one, number six on the list here, made me think about uh, our D&D game right now. <clears throat> Involve the NPCs in the story. The easiest way to create an emotional bond between players and the NPCs is to directly involve them into the story and the player's objective. Players usually care about their goals more than exploring every location and talking to every NPC. Exactly. And they spend more time with the characters that are related to the main story, which you have been. We have a little. It's like a triangle going on right now because we have the Harpers, we have the Emerald Enclave and. Shalendra, I guess the Flotians. Actually, I guess if you wanted to add the uh, the Duke in there, it would be a four four person uh, sure. pull. Uh, but I thought I, you know, I was always afraid of doing something like that because I've done shit in the past where I've tried to pull the players apart. I don't want to say like trying to really like tear it apart, but now mm-hmm. you have like I have sided with Boar because I 
pretty much told him, yes, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to help you. And he's like, I'm part of the animal enclave and we need this orb. You're going to give me an orb, right? I was like, fuck. Well, I already promised you. Yes, I'm a man of my word. I'll do this while I still have to, uh, you know, deal with my family's name and the Duke where he's just like, give me these fucking orbs or you're a goddamn traitor and we'll probably just go to war. Like, oh, okay, fuck. A couple other players have other stuff where their own factions want them as well and it could be party turmoil later Mm -hmm. uh but this has made that our npcs are interesting because they are now meddling with our party dynamic almost uh depending on how we actually play this out it can the dramatic stakes of the party itself is pretty high uh, depending on what we actually decide individually and together as a party later. Yeah, I think you're you're spot on in that, that assessment, and it's it's nice to hear that all those components that I've tried to lay fairly carefully and balance are are coming through at least from your perspective mm-hmm. as a player. I don't know how the rest of the party feels. Maybe it's totally lost on them, but um, that's having mystery and intrigue is is good but you also need to i would say a big component of creating a memorable npc is allowing the pcs to empathize with that npc mm-hmm. whereas and then creating some sort of tension where it's like i get that you i understand why you are pursuing this course of action. And that might be at odds with some other course of action. It's a conflict of values, but it's much better to have a PC or I'm sorry, an NPC that the, that the players and the PCs respect than like Mm -hmm. you need some NPCs that the, the players like, and those probably should be second tier NPCs or even throwaway NPCs. You want like a bartender, a bard in the inn to be likable. And we did a whole podcast on how to come up with likable NPCs. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in how to go about doing that, then go back and listen to that podcast. I don't have time to recap now. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but it's better to have an NPC that is, that is respectable and you might not necessarily agree with their motives or their means by which they go about achieving their goals. And so that probably is governed by whether they're in the party or not in the party, or maybe they fade in and out of the party, depending on how their, their motives and goals align with the parties. So that can be interesting. So, but a memorable NPC is one that the party, the PCs respect and they will remember the PCs that they respect, even if they're, even if they're enemies, you go, okay, well, I mean, you're, if I viewed the world the way you viewed the world and had your, uh, this understanding then I probably would, I, I mean, I get it. I don't, I don't agree with it and I'm going to fight you tooth and nail till the end. But Hey, I mean, I, I can kind of respect the fact that you're, you have this grit and this determination to win the day or, or whatever. So that's much, a much better tactic than just making them likable, likable PCs can often just like, yeah, wait, wait, he's cool or whatever. He's funny or whatever, yada, yada, yada. And, but they can be throwaways sometimes and they're more forgettable than PCs that the party like respects their, uh, their values, mm. even if they're at odds with the party's values, because if they're in the party's orbit, they're not always going to be that way. Sometimes they're going to align and sometimes they're not going to align. And if it's a villain, they likely never align, but a memorable villain would be one that the party kind of goes, I mean, you're kind of bad, but like, I mean, it makes sense, right? Like it makes sense that you would be like totally evil and like want to kill all these people <laughs> because I get it. Evil for the sake of evil is never yeah. productive. It's it's almost always boring unless you're running a really tropey kind of, uh, you know, kitschy campaign where you're 
maybe your the emphasis is not so much on the characters so much as the plot twists mm-hmm. and what's happening then you could do that and the the npcs and that and that can be just total stereotypes and tropey because you're focused more on the plot twists and developments and uh to end this up number one on their list which uh whenever i read stuff like this and it like uh it coincides and it kind of like bolsters and goes along with what we say here on the show kind of makes me feel like oh yeah we do know what we're talking about look at these fucking journalists they these guys are journalists they know what they're talking about and they're writing the same shit i'm a journalist bro oh that wait that's right you are a journalist never mind gauge the player's interest no matter how much you personally like a certain npc or how much time you've spent developing them it's the players who decide which npcs are more interesting and they want to spend their time with so always gauge their interest in different NPCs and accept their choices. That's Th- that's a <clears throat> go ahead. I was going to say this just recently came up, David, and I've talked about it before. David made a throwaway NPC and now he's becoming more of a main NPC for my character. Um, this is something that I do regularly. This is one trick I say on this show a lot. I want to work on stuff. This is one thing that I can absolutely say. I've accomplished. I've done this a few times that I've made NPCs and the players just seem to latch onto them for some reason. So then I start leaning more into it and then they become a lot more fun. And, but what I want to ask you, David, I am taking your NPC, your throwaway, and I'm making it more. I have done this, but would do you ever find these NPCs that are supposed to be throwaways or there's just supposed to be minor characters in the story when the players latch onto them like this, do you now move them into more of a major role? Like you'll take somebody, something out or somebody out that was in your story originally and replace them with this NPC. I want to do that. Uh, occasionally, but I, your, your question is flawed a little bit insofar as that it's like, are they supposed to be X? Uh huh. I look at NPCs and their importance in the plot as a collaborative effort. I do definitely as the DM have some semblance of what the plot ought to be, but the mechanism by which I arrive at that might be a vehicle or the NPCs might be a vehicle for that. And which NPC is a vehicle for that is not really something I'm super invested in. Uh, the, the, the point by the article writer or whomever it is, is perfectly well taken. If your players aren't latching on to a certain NPC, I mean, look at Rectavio and, and the, our curse. Of oh Scott yeah. I put all kinds of like little, like, I tried to make him a colorful and an interesting character, but the, 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 the party never really, really grabbed onto him in any mm-hmm. way that was like substantive and, and such a great NPC too. Yeah, he is. But the, the I would just kind of, okay, he's just kind of there for colorful background and other NPCs. The, the party did kind of latch onto a little bit more uh, as Morelda, for mm-hmm. instance, it seemed like was more into the four, uh, Perhaps I did a bad job at communicating kind of the mystery of Rictavio's identity or whatever. And maybe it was a little more because Esmeralda was like directly embroiled in the conflict that she was more interesting to the party. But for whatever reasons, you kind of have to play to your audience and the PCs are your audience. And so you kind of have to give them what they want and occasionally give them what they expect or mostly give them what they expect and occasionally give them something unexpected, but shoehorning an NPC into the narrative when you don't necessarily need to, you go, what's the purpose of this NPC in the narrative to deliver some sort of information to serve some sort of role in the group? Could it be better served by some other NPC that the party is gravitating toward? And the answer is almost always yes. So you just pivot and you have to be flexible and amenable to what it is your PCs want. There is no supposed to be a throwaway NPC. If you create an NPC that one of your players likes, 
then they're supposed to be in the narrative because what's supposed to happen is you're supposed to craft characters and conflicts and a story that's engaging to your players. And if you have done that, then that that NPC is supposed to be in the narrative mm. and you kind of follow along with it and it becomes more of a collaborative effort as opposed to railroading a player down a certain like no like he's just a throwaway you don't need him like just whatever like just this over here is your, this guy's your mentor the, go do that it's like well why couldn't you just transpose whatever's supposed to happen with the plot with this guy over here to this guy over here that the pc is more interested in and that plot point will likely resonate with them a little bit more so um I know, and David has brought this up, and I should know better because I used to give him shit on his old podcast about this. But yes, uh, this was written by Nima Dabirian Tarani uh, for thegamer.com. Uh, give credit where credit is due, even to those journalists that do little things like this. Uh, but I think that is going to be an episode for us this week. Uh, sure. If anybody out there has any questions, write in. We talked about those emails before. Send it to you inside the GM studio at gmail.com. Ask us anything. Give us some shit to talk about. Let us know about your NPCs. Tell us some fucking stories about your games. Um, also, you can come watch us uh twitch.tv slash inside the GM studio every Sunday, 9 o'clock Eastern. Uh, yeah, I think uh, that's going to be it for me. And uh, I've been ho- your host, Matt. I am David. Good, good night.